You are listening to the Horizon CIO podcast. Join us and the CIO network community to debate increasing performance at low risk in partnership with Amido on the 1st of May. To register your place, contact the editor Mark Chillingworth or visit horizoncio.network forward slash event. This month's podcast features leading technology lawyer Alistair Morn on the subject of artificial intelligence. Alistair was speaking at the first Horizon CIO Network event in partnership with Amido. To learn more about Amido, visit amido.com. So Mark, thanks for inviting me along here. As, as you say, I've been a technology lawyer for almost 30 years now, and I guess I've seen successive waves of technology evolution breaking on the, on the shore from you know offshoring and cloud and robotic process automation. This one in terms of AI is probably the first one I can remember. I can pin down to one phone call. Normally, you know, technology deals, we've, we can involve in a traditional technology deal and someone says, well, there may be a cloud element to it and that you know, gradually expands until you're doing a specific cloud deal. I can pin down to uh, 2016, the call that came in said, we're going to do an AI deal now, we'd like some legal advice on it. At which point you put out the call to the rest of the people in, uh, in a firm. And Morrison Forster is a large international law firm, so there's lots of, uh, there's a technology brains trust around. And you find that there were lots of pockets within the firm advising on lots of different AI deals at that time. They all seemed to be with Google on the other side, which was, maybe says something in itself. Um, but anyway, so I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the AI deals that I've seen. I guess from a legal or commercial perspective rather than a, a technology perspective. You know, Mido may be able to say something about the other aspects of this late, later on. Um, Mark asked me to do that. I, I, I fell into a trap a, a few years ago of a uh, technology journalist, not you, Mark, asking me to just write something and try and be a little bit provocative. So I wrote about... I think it was agile in the government sector. Well, the torrent of abuse from the agile community that poured down onto me over the next three days after this came out. So I'm not going to be quite as provocative <laughs> as that. But I just thought I'd say a few things from my perspective in terms of the AI deals that I've seen and some principles perhaps as to how my clients have approached these from a mainly commercial perspective perhaps and the things that I see and my colleagues have seen beginning to factor into AI-type deals. So I sort of start from the proposition, I think, that if you think it's just another IT contract, you quickly find out it's a lot more than another IT contract. There's lots more elements to it than you might normally expect. You will probably start from the same place of trying to build a business case for what you want to do. You will probably end up in a similar place of probably sign some sort of contract with a provider or a series of providers to deliver what you want and in and between that there will be project management and you gradually refine what you, what you want and conduct presumably some sort of procurement process. So there are elements that are very familiar and very traditional from a traditional IT project but in between uh, from what I've seen there's quite a lot of difference. In, in particular I think there's a lot more collaborative development of what goes on, of, of, of provider and developer coming together and working out what it is they can do together with the different types of AI technology that may be available. Um, and in particular, I mean, lawyers 
tend not to like things that are joint. Joint does not work well from a legal perspective. It sets my teeth on edge. Any sort of joint obligation, it means I can't really enforce it. Joint ownership of intellectual property, oh, no, it really doesn't work very well. It's just much more complicated than one party owning and another party uh, having a clear license to do it. But there's more collaboration within, particularly in the early days of working towards what AI can do for an, for an organisation. Particularly when you think about the tra traditional AI project at the moment, from, from what I've seen, is a lot about, well, you've got some data over here, I've got a machine learning engine or a, a, um, AI tool over here, let's bring the two together and work out what we can do. So collaboratively working out within a particular domain, whether it's media rights or recruitment or whatever whatever it might be, what can AI do for a company that works in that particular domain? It does involve, from what I've seen, the customer that owns the data, that wants to achieve something by using AI, sort of opening up a lot of its know-how and trade secrets, how it works in a traditional non-AI wor world, and, and the developer trying to work out, well, this is what we think we could do for you. This is what you want to achieve. This is how AI could do it. This is how you could train the machine learning engine. And that involves helping to educate a developer around how technology works in that particular domain. So thinking about uh, what you've enabled to happen and what that might be able to do once you've loosed it out into the world is one of the things that doesn't necessarily see in a traditional IT project as much as you do in, a, in an AI and machine learning project. I think also on, on the projects that I've worked on, when it comes to the business case, you know, the scare stories out there in the, in the Daily Mail and the Daily Express are all about AI and robots replacing humans. But the business cases that I've seen are almost exclusively around making humans more efficient. It's not about taking humans out of the equation. I, and I accept maybe in terms of certain types of AI that's almost closer to robotic process automation, that may be about you know, reducing headcount to, to some extent, but most of the more sophisticated sort of cognitive learning or customer engagement types of AI projects, it's about identifying, well, in our traditional non-AI world as an organization, we've got 15 steps between identifying the problem and selling something to the consumer. If we can make step number one, 3% more efficient, step number two, 5% more efficient, we can draw more inferences, 10% more efficiently in step number three. If you look at that over the course of the whole of the business process, then that's what delivers the business benefits at the end of the day. And of the four or five projects that I've worked over the past couple of years, that's definitely the common theme around, uh, around the business case. It's not necessarily about saving money and reducing headcount. It's about what can we do more effectively as a business in order to improve the business going, going forward. I think to some extent, and Amida may talk about this a little bit more, I suspect they're closer, closer to it than me, it will depend upon the type of... AI project you have in mind in terms of what you want to do at the, at the simpler end as, as I talked about you know it is around robotic process automation but then sort of cognitive learning customer engagement that's where you get the more sophisticated business benefits and that's where I think organizations are trying to take what they want to do with, with AI increasingly so one of the things and again Amido Mark you might talk about this this, this later from my perspective I, I you know I, I'm not quite certain yet there is such a thing as purely out-of-the-box AI. You know, the, the AI machine learning engines that I've seen kind of need to be trained. They kind of need to understand the way a particular domain works. And the typ typical stages of, of the project that, that, I, that I've seen are, well, 
we start with a proof of concept. There is a collaboration to determine well what can be can be done. There is a decision as to whether whether to go forward. You have a party with an AI tool. You have a party with a data ocean or data lake or data river, whatever you might want to call it. You bring the two together. You train the AI tool to work in a particular domain, and then there is a uh, a contract after that for three or five years to use the trained engine to work in that particular domain to achieve what the customer wants to achieve. The, the, the ultimate data that was used to train the brain will probably be handed back because it's the, it's the customers and then when you go from there in terms of what the engine can actually do once it's been trained in a particular domain. But I do think that there's definitely a connecting thread of start with that proof of concept. Going for the moonshot, let's bring AI to the entire business, is, is, is not the way to go. There's definitely a connecting thread, as I say, of proofs of concept. And probably a number of organisations that I've seen are going with a series of different proofs of concept in, in, across the domain, possibly aggregated around a some sort of centre of excellence within the organisation to control and actually to learn what AI can do. And if all else fails, and that's one of the things I'll come on to next, if all else may well fail, at least you've learned what AI can do. You may not necessarily have got what you initially set out to do, but you may well have learned a lot about your business, what AI could do for your business, and then you recycle that in the, in the next project. Some of the projects you start with proof of concept may well work, and they go on to full development and then on, then on to live running. But expecting everything to work on, on, on day one at the end of the proof of concept isn't, isn't necessarily where people need to set their minds at. You are listening to the Horizon CIO podcast. Join us and the CIO network community to debate increasing performance at low risk in partnership with Amido on the 1st of May. To register your place, contact the editor Mark Chillingworth or visit horizoncio.network forward slash event. This month's podcast features leading technology lawyer Alistair Morn on the subject of artificial intelligence. Alistair was speaking at the first Horizon CIO Network event in partnership with Amido. To learn more about Amido, visit amido.com. Um, the other thing that is slightly unusual in my, in my experience about the AI world, especially when you think about proofs of concept, is typically it is the customer that is more worried about, well, if it doesn't work, we may want to pull the plug, we may want to, we may want to walk away. Actually, from what I've seen, a lot of the developers, the, the, the technology businesses, are almost equally as worried about when we're doing a proof of concept. We only want it to go live if we're absolutely convinced it's actually going to work. Um, which is a slightly different dimension. Normally, that's you, you, I guess the technology company is, is all guns blazing when we need to get it to testing acceptance and we need to make it, it go live. Uh, and as long as it passes these objective criteria, that's what we want to happen. I think there's a, there's a more nuanced balance at the early stages of AI projects of is it actually going to work? Do we want to risk going live? Particularly for in a regulated context uh, or in relation to projects that involve uh, personal data. Uh, I think there are issues there. Reuters reported last year that uh, AWS uh, had been working for, I think since 2014, on a project to bring AI to bear in a recruitment context. Um, And after three or four years, they eventually pulled the plug on that because AWS felt they couldn't make it work. They They could not guarantee that it was free of bias was free of disparate impact on different potentially minority groups. So in the end, they concluded for 
I guess, political or public relations reasons to pull it. Now, I'm sure that, sure that will come back, but that sort of demonstrates that certainly some of the big providers that are perhaps under, under public scrutiny uh, are, are very concerned not to have AI projects get out there if they're not convinced it can be done in a, in a legal or regulatory compliant way. As I indicated before, it doesn't, you know, these things don't always work, and I think it's important to be, uh, to be prepared for, for that. Um, I think the technology is, is getting better, and the way of the technology companies engaging with their customers are getting better. But being prepared to say, well, this isn't meeting our ethical standards or our technical standards, or it isn't meeting our business case, is probably more important th than ever, I think. So thinking about or having the rights to bail out at particular points in time, not all the time, but at certain points in the development, I think is probably important to do knowing when to bail out or consider the rights to suspend a project. But that kind of depends on having visibility into what's gone on within a particular project or how the tool is being used. And probably also having the guts to bail out, but actually that's, that's a much broader thing, I think, across all IT projects. One of the reasons, this is a whole different d debate, I suppose, but one of the reasons why IT projects have perhaps got if you read certain parts of the press, a bad reputation is it's human nature. It's the mastermind. I've started, so I'll finish. I want to keep running. I want to make certain I get this, get this thing developed. Having the information to make the decision and having the guts to make a decision, especially around at early stages of a proof of concept, is an important thing to build into these types of projects. There are, from a legal perspective, I mean, there are all sorts of issues around liability and understanding liability, particularly if you're creating new risks and new opportunities, so understanding those. I mentioned IP before, and I think IP uh, is at the heart of a lot of these projects, intellectual property, understanding who owns the intellectual property within an environment, as I said earlier on, particularly if you are potentially creating new material new copyright, for example. There are certainly some issues around who owns the intellectual property in something that's been created by a, by a machine, and there are lots of legal arguments, and I could bore you for a long time about it. But if you think back to that, the, the much simpler case of the, um, about three or four years ago, there was a famous case of a uh, photograph that was taken by a macaque monkey that a photographer set up. Well, legal cases are still running as to whether that wasn't created by a human, it was created by a monkey that pressed the button on, on the shutter on the camera. Who owns the IP in that? Well, we can't even figure out who owns the IP in something created by a monkey. We certainly have not yet got down to the position of being able to work out who owns the intellectual property in something created by a machine. Typically, you would deal with that via contract, but that leads to an interesting discussion in, well, exactly who created the material, who created the ideas. If we, the customer, effectively training the machine learning engine to do something within a particular domain, does that give us greater rights than we might have tra traditionally had? Um, whereas the developer would say, well, actually, you know, we provided the facilities here, we provided the engine. You may have tuned it to a limited extent within your particular domain, but that doesn't mean to say you own the entire tool, and that's a pretty legitimate argument. So there are some more difficult arguments around who owns intellectual property and therefore who can do in the future what they want to do with what's been developed. So there are, from a lawyer's perspective, there are plenty of interesting issues there. And as I was saying to, to someone earlier on, the law and regulation is miles behind what you guys in the technology field are doing. I and mean, it's been that way ever since I've been a technology lawyer. The lawyers have barely got to grips with, with cloud and offshoring. They're certainly nowhere near getting to grips with a legal regime to deal with AI and machine learning, and that's still many years away, I think.
Um, uh, sort of associated with the IP issues, I think it is, a lot of it is about data. Uh, it's about the value of the data that is used to train the engine. Uh, it is about, and there are obviously lots of privacy issues in there. I'm trying not to say the initials GDPR, but I've obviously failed. You know, the, certain domains, particularly, you know, obviously where it involves personal data, you need to be GDPR compliant. Um, but even if you're not necessarily dealing with personal data or sensitive personal data, there are, there are lots of issues as to who gets access to that data, who can do what with that data. Uh, once the uh, engine or machine learning tool has, has been developed and, be, and been implemented. So thinking about data, have you got the rights to use data in that particular way to draw the conclusions, who owns the conclusions from a particular data set is one of the things I think is important to do. The other connecting thread as well as proof of concepts which we talked about before, a lot of these projects are often delivered through the cloud. And I am instinctively wary about someone telling me that, well, we can, this, we can do this all on cloud terms. You know, that will often be Google, because they like to deliver these, these projects through, through their Google Cloud, cloud platform, and that may be fine for certain types of domain. I, you know, I'm instinctively wary about doing sophisticated developments through a Google Cloud platform set of terms, or AWS, obviously other, other cloud platforms are, are, are available, but yeah, that may be suitable for live running. Would you do development on a set of cloud terms with standard acceptable use policies, relatively low service levels, you know, relatively low service service credits, extensive rights to suspend? You know, I do think there's a case for looking at a different set of development terms for the development and then potentially you're onto cloud terms when you're on live running. Blending the two together from the off, I think, is a, is a different discussion that needs to be had. And maybe finally, before I, before I wrap up, I think along with the data issues comes the issues around ethics and how you treat what, what is done in the development. Algorithmic accountability, transparency, call it what you will, auditability I think is very important, uh, especially if you're dealing with personal data, obviously automated decision making, there are plenty of rules as to how you can do automated decision making with personal data, but even if you're not in that zone, thinking about what you intend to do, can you do it in a legally compliant way, you know, especially in, in domains like recruitment, for example, doing it in a way that does not lead to inherent bias, that does not, so, so how do you work out if the machine is identifying, has learned to teach itself which universities are predominantly, uh, are female only universities, or has identified um, CVs that are of women's sports teams, for example, and therefore is making decisions, not offering certain jobs to people who've got that on their CVs, where they are offering to you know, male-dominated people who've got male-dominated things on their sports. Those sorts of things, working out how you've got transparency as to is the machine making the right sort of decision, understanding what the machine is doing and having visibility into it. Uh, I guess that the, the, there's a view. The privacy lawyers certainly would want white box development as opposed to black box development. I, you need to have some sort of insight into the, the way the decisions are made within the development in order to understand have we got transparency, are we getting ourselves into legal risk issues, um, have we got auditability of it. So thinking about that, certainly the large technology developers, Google, AWS, Azure, I think have all got their corporate ethics policies around, around AI and I think 
large corporates that are beginning to adopt AI would be well advised to do something similar in terms of have an ethics policy around what we want from the AI and the machine learning that we're doing. It's a bit soft edge, but I think from a lawyer's perspective, it's important to have and to try to implement in the way in which AI is adopted within an organization. So finally, uh, maybe my conclusions uh, from the area projects that I've seen are I, I would always try and encourage a customer who'd not done this before to start small, start with a proof of concept or a series of proof of concepts, rather than go for the business-changing moonshot straight away. Learn from your initial proofs, proofs of concept in terms of how, what AI could do for your organisation. Think about protecting the IP. Think about what you're doing with your data. Think about what you want to do with that data afterwards and perhaps if you're using it to train in a particular domain, a tool, what someone else might end up doing with that tool afterwards if it's been trained using your data that creates rules around your particular business. Think about legal risk, particularly in a regulated sector, particularly when you're dealing with personal data and individuals. And think about the ethics issues of it. The uh, boards need to focus on both the business case and how they're treating, how AI will be implemented across their organisation. It's not a nice, clean, legal or technical issue. I think there are issues that boards need to consider around the ethics of how AI is being imp implemented and they need to take a lead on that. It needs to flow down from the board to business teams so that it's taken account of from the off in the way that, that uh, projects are put together. Alice, thank you very much for a fantastic uh, start to tonight's debate. Absolutely.